0: Another episode of the ISO. Myself, your host, Dan Dickow on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. Today's guest, the number three pick in the 0-2 NBA draft. I barely squeaked into the first round. My guest <laughs> probably <laughs> knew where he was going after Yao Ming and after Jay Williams, none other than Mike Dunleavy. Mike, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, let's go back to 2002 because uh, you were kind of uh, – in that mix of being drafted between three, four, five, from what I can remember, but it was a unique draft in that the European and the overseas uh, attention just boomed. You had Yao Ming at one, and then you had Nene Hilario, Skittish Vili. You had so many of these other guys that we didn't really necessarily know much about. Um, But, but you were kind of at the top of a lot of draft boards. Walk us through how that was for you uh, during that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you were kind of hitting at it earlier. Um, it it was actually a relatively easy draft process for me because everybody knew, yeah, I was going number one and then the bulls are going to take Jay will. So after that, for me, it was like, I was going three or four to golden state or Memphis. So, you know, obviously you hear about the stories of guys sitting in the green room and not knowing when they're going to be picked and and sweating it out. But I had a pretty good idea and really up until like a day before the draft, I knew the Warriors are going to take me. So, um, I enjoyed it. It was a fun. It was a fun experience I had my family there in New York and knew I was going to the Warriors or 99% sure. So, um, yeah, it was it was a fun time and for me the hardest part about it really was the decision to come out. I was a junior, uh, just finished up my junior year, had a good year at Duke and I was really focused on coming back for my senior year, we wanted to try and win another national championship and just you know, the NBA opportunity presented itself. Uh, you know, I talked to my dad who was in the NBA at the time and say, so, hey, listen, I think you should think about putting your name in. You could go really high. We'll see. We'll get some feedback. And then next thing you know, it's like he's going to go to top 10. It's like top five. And he's going <laughs> to go third pick. It's like, you know, sorry, I went to Coach K. I was like, Coach, sorry, but, like, I'm going to be the third pick in the draft. Like, I, I got to go. And he understood. And also, the, the following year, we knew LeBron was coming out. Um, they had Darko, who, who was considered to be, like, a top three pick. So, like, I couldn't even go back to school and improve my stock. So, the decision ended up being – easy uh, and the draft night was fun but uh, yeah the, the whole draft process now um, as an executive is is, is is an interesting one.
0: Yeah you come full circle you're now assistant general manager with the Warriors where you're probably putting in a lot of the uh, evaluations and the thoughts on guys and having a ton of input on who you guys select. I've read a couple of articles over the past where you were one of the guys that maybe pinpointed Jordan Poole early uh, in his college career when you're out scouting, what catches your eye about a guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can watch a ton of film on guys, but you want to go see them in person just to get a feel, I think, for their, you know, for their body, their size, their height, um, but also like, you know, their speed, their quickness. You can't always pick up on film. And uh, if there's anything unique to them. And for me with Jordan, it was we saw it in our workouts too when we had him in pre-draft. Just, he had this burst about him that was. I thought coming off, you know, playing 15 years in the NBA, I thought it was pretty unique. I thought he could be able to get get by guys. And so you start with that and then you build off of it. But um, yeah, man, we, you know, picking 28, we've picked late a lot lately. We've had some higher picks. You know, the first thing you got to know is it hits tough. You know, it's in many ways a crapshoot. You try and do as much homework scouting as you can, but a lot of luck is involved and um, you just kind of kind of mitigate risk and, and make the right pick for what you think is your organization and, and team moving forward.
0: Well, you guys usually pick towards the end of the first round because you've been so good for so long. Um, and part of that's because obviously Steph Curry is one of the greatest players of all time. You know, when when you go to practice and watch after practice, you, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, who's the best? Steve Kerr, who's the best shooter in the gym?
1: <laughs> Man, it's not me uh especially anymore like you said these guys are the elite of the elite um you know and obviously having kd here for a couple years he was right there it's incredible to have a gym every day with those those types of shooters and i don't think anybody takes it for granted um and then every once in a while you just kind of catch yourself watching picasso paint you know after practice getting the shots up uh it's you know it's it's pretty special and uh the guy the guy is a great shooter because you know, he was probably born to shoot, but he also puts the time in the amount of time the guy puts in the amount of shots he gets up. uh, There's no coincidence that he's, you know, the best that there ever was.
0: Well, you put a ton of time in and you've been around the game from from the time you were born. Your dad played in the NBA, coached in the NBA. You've been around it. What about like that, those innate traits of of understanding the game a split second before other guys. How did you pick up on that? Was it conversations around the house? Was it just being around the game and watching practices as a kid? How did you kind of pick up that IQ that you you were known for? Yeah, I think
1: it's a little bit of everything. Like you mentioned, um, it's being around the team you know teams that he coached at practices, at games, in locker rooms, on team planes. You know, hearing the chatter. You know, it's at night. My dad's home watching film you know, after I get my homework done, going up there and watching with him. And frankly, probably half the time I wasn't paying attention, but you, you just kind of pick up things by osmosis. So, and, you know, just watching game after game over the years, you pick things up and you start to understand how the game is supposed to be played and um, had some really good coaches over the years, which helps too. But I definitely noticed now you see guys that are young and then they're young where they also really haven't been around the game a long time. Well, that's where you say, Hey, he doesn't have a great feel or he struggles with IQ and you can't really blame them. They haven't been around it much whereas I grew up around the game and that was certainly a strength of my game is is understanding how a coach wants to play uh, and understand my teammates around me and and spacing and flow and all that Um, you know it made up for some of the deficiencies I had maybe with athleticism or strength things like that.
0: I played for your dad for one year with the Clippers and uh, it was one of those things where he had a number system for everything on the floor so a lot of people know sevens or pick and rolls but it would be Uh, A down screen's uh, a six. A cross screen's an eight. So you add them together, they're 18s. Is that the way (laughs) you grew up learning the game? Like you'd be calling out numbers to people on the floor, you know, in youth basketball, and they'd look at you like you're crazy?
1: You know what? I should should know his system better, but the amount of people that come up to me that played for him or coached with him or coached against him is like, oh – your guy's system. I know all, you know, all his plays and all his different calls. It was so interesting. And the playbook was super, super deep and intricate, but it was all pretty learnable based on the number system you're mentioning. I, yeah, I don't, I didn't play against my dad's teams a ton and I didn't, um, have to know his offense growing up because I didn't play for him. But so I hear all about it, but I didn't really know it. Uh, but it definitely, um, is one thing I always pride myself on as a coach's son. Like you got to know the place. you got to know the coverages. My dad always said that you got to know that. So you know, as a pro, I always wanted to make sure you know scouting reports and pregame plans and all that. You know, never make a mistake on that type of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I still remember how detailed that that playbook is, and and I use some of the terminology with my son's AAU team, my coach. But uh, you know, lots of good stuff there. You're a good player in high school. You and a Casey Jacobson, who's a good friend of mine, he's been a guest on the show a couple of times, um, were kind of the wings that were both McDonald's All-American level wings on the West Coast. He mentioned he wanted to go to Duke, and it was kind of down to you and him who made their decision first. What was it about Duke, and how easy was it to say yes to Coach K? Well, I
1: think growing up, in, you know, I guess going to high school in Portland, we kind of grew up all over, but going to high school in Portland um, – There's a long way from Duke, but you know, even back then they had the prestige in 91, 92, back-to-back teams. I kind of grew up watching that. And frankly, in high school, I didn't reach the level of being able to go to Duke until I was probably a junior or senior. So it wasn't really on my radar, but when they came calling, it was was incredibly appealing. Um, I also looked at North Carolina. I looked at Stanford. Stanford had a great program and obviously great education. So looked at all those schools. I took my time. I made a thorough decision, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, what what Coach K and Duke had to offer was was pretty enticing, and ended up going there. Casey went to Stanford. We had some good battles over the years, and uh, you know he's he's a buddy, and uh, he's he had a nice career, and he's doing the he's he's on the the dark side of things like you now. So um, it's amazing the way things come full circle.
0: So you mentioned earlier when when you knew that you were a projected top three or four pick, you had to go to talk to Coach K and tell me we're leaving. Was that an easy conversation? Is that a hard conversation? Because, you know, I've talked to a few people in the past that have played at Duke, and and they say Coach K is an intense uh, coach, but he's also very loving and understanding. What was it like for you first to tell him that you were leaving?
1: Yeah, I think it was tough, mostly just because it was uh, abrupt. I think, uh, you know, my plan was always to be there four years. I think he expected that. And then this situation presented itself. So I think it kind of came out of the blue for everyone. So initially it was it was it was challenging. Um, I think he, you know, he pushed back a little bit, which totally understood. But at the end of the day, um, you know, he enabled me to make the decision. I made it what was best for me. He understood it. And, um, you know, here we are 20 years later. Um, I've got a great relationship with him, lean on him for things. And, um, you know, he's one of the most impactful people that in, in my basketball life and, and always look back and appreciate that
0: having that kind of inner relationship with people at Duke, like I'm sure you do very similar to me at Gonzaga, you kind of have an interview of all the workings you have understanding of the early teams, like with Jay Billis, Johnny Dawkins, and then the the Bobby Hurley um, and Christian Leitner teams. And then your team, I think it was your sophomore year. You won the title. Now they're, you know, literally you go to Duke because you're a one and done essentially. You know, how much pride do you have in that, in that program? And is it, Truly, as connected as people think it is.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, they have this thing now—the brotherhood, which is all the the alumni players that you know stay connected through you know texts and emails and get-togethers at games or Final Fours and things like that. And it's it's great, um, but there is a network that's real, and I don't think that existed as much when I first got there, uh, but it's grown over the years. Got to give a lot of credit to. Um, you know, some of these guys that came after us, Nolan Smith and John Shire, done a really good job of connecting the, the generations of players. But when I was there and, and leading up to going there, I prided myself on knowing the history of the program, knowing that, you know, the years that Coach K was there, you know, the, the players he coached, the teams he coached, and he referenced those teams a lot. So uh, whether you read about him or you heard what he said about him, you knew him. And I knew those guys, like, the Jay Billis's and the Johnny Dawkins, those guys were around when I was playing. And obviously, they're around now still. And I like to know the guys now that are coming in the NBA, these young guys, even though they're one and done. You know, they've played, we've all, we, sh- we all share the same bond of playing for Duke and playing for Coach K. That'll change now, but I don't think it's going to be drastic. You know, John understands the, the ins and outs of the program and what it all means. So I'm really looking forward to, to watching him and his staff coach and seeing where kind of the next chapter of Duke basketball goes.
0: As an assistant GM, you crisscross the country throughout the year evaluating teams and players at practices and games. Is is there do you have a, a certain amount of pride when you go to Duke and watch a Duke player? Do you kind of have to take a step back when you're taking your notes and your evals? Uh, or has it been pretty easy for you to give a, a clear and easy eval on guys, whether they're from Duke or from another school?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, – I guess the first – the toughest part, I think, for me going to a Duke game or practice is, like, not showing up with my Duke gear on. <laughs> They're like, hey, I got a little bit of a job to do here. I, I got to watch through the lens of a, a scout as my, as opposed to, you know, an alumni and pulling for my school. So there's a little bit of both. But, um, you know, I think the good thing with the Duke guys is the relationships. You know, you get a good idea of who they are. I can talk to, you know, Chris Carowell or John Shire, the guys in the staff, Coach K., Um, and and really get a good feel for for the player and and the person versus you know you have good relationships with other universities and coaches but maybe not as good as I do at Duke so I mean it's certainly an advantage um, but yeah I mean you got a job to do you can't you can't put too much bias into it in terms of uh, the player you're picking uh, you got to go forth and, and make the right decision and and of course our group our scouts and stuff, you know, they always, you know, they always like to give me a hard time about Duke and, and keep me level headed about it. So it's good.
0: On a, on a typical season, lead up to a season, you guys got training camp. That's going to be starting in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you got to get out and, and see fall practices. Cause I would imagine that's important for you to, to eval guys early in the season and practice where they're being taught, where then you can see how much they absorb and learn. And then they are able to, to, you know, perform with those characteristics the coach wants how much do you get out as a gm um during the early season and then during the season
1: yeah i mean great question i love getting out early to see the practices like you mentioned i like it to see i like to go to practices where there's a decent amount of pro talent you know young guys some freshmen that you haven't seen you don't know from high school as much but also schools and programs that have you know, good coaching staffs, you know, last year spent some time up at Gonzaga, you know, you get to see coach few, our guy, Brian Michelson. Um, And then, but also you got players, you know, Chet's there, you know, you go see players. So I like to to find the schools that have that in the fall and get a head start on stuff. And then end of October, you got the practice, November is super heavy. You got a champions classic this year, the PK 85 tournament in Portland. You're just trying to get volume, see as many high level players and programs you can see in November, December, And then you kind of whittle it down and say, who do I want to go out and see? Or who do I still need to see in the conference season? Uh, It plays itself out pretty well. Um, Just like to be able to see every player um, that we would consider taking in the draft. I hate hate drafting a guy that maybe you didn't see live. Um, You know, for me, everybody's different. For me personally, I like to have that comfort level
0: how does it work in the Warriors organization? I I had Chad Buchanan, the GM of the Pacers on a week or two back, and and we kind of talked about how they did things. How does the Warriors work as far as, you know, uh, Bob Myers makes the final decision, but takes input from each play, a scout as well as the assistant GM yourself. Uh, How does it work with you? And then, do you ever feel like you have to give an extra little bit of emphasis to the guy that you really like, or is it always kind of become a consensus on who you want to pick?
1: Yeah, we've got a pretty good group collaborative process. Uh, we've got two great full-time college scouts who scout the country all year long. And then we have probably another five to six of us who are out there seeing games. Um, uh, While is also seeing, you know, we're seeing pro games too. We're seeing, you know, handling other things that are going on. So, We've got a group that's probably eight guys that kind of put our draft board together, build our, build our draft thoughts, ideas. Bob's pretty hands-off. I mean, he certainly goes out and sees players. He tracks things during the year. He's reading the reports. Um, but he really lets us kind of dictate everything. And then kind of the last you know, week or so, he comes in. He gets a feel for where we're at on things. He's watching more film on guys. And ultimately, hits his call, and, and Joe Lacob's very involved as well, our owner, um, it's kind of those two guys' call. But the rest of us are sort of, you know, doing the legwork, building it up and putting us in a spot where, you know, hey, we're, we're picking between these three or four guys. Let's really hone in on these guys or, you know, kind of building the strategy out and, uh, you know, Bob and Joe kind of make the final
0: decision. So if you kind of have it whittled down to three or four guys, I know lots of uh, teams will throw out different smoke screens out there, you know, and you don't have to give me the Warriors process, but, but how, how does that typically work? You guys would bring in extra players during the draft, that might be around that certain area you guys are picking.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we've ever done any stuff like that where we're trying to lead lead anyone astray. Um, I think for us, it's a matter of just okay, we collect as much information on you know wh- where guys are in our range, um, and then you know just talking to teams, being honest with teams, but not spilling all the beans. Uh, I don't think, I don't think too many teams do that. So um, it's definitely uh, you know th- there's a bit of game theory to it. Uh, we don't like, you know, we don't like to lead anybody astray. I don't think we put too much stuff out there in the media that's inaccurate. The media may pick up things or speculate on things, you know, as far as who, who we like or who we may take. But you know, I think for the most part, we're pretty good about keeping things cl- close to the vest. And, um, you know, when, when the time comes to make the pick, um, you know, we've, we've settled on it, you know, maybe a day or two before with our board, but things are fluid during the draft and things can change. Sometimes you want to make a trade, but We've got a pretty good process, that's sound, and, uh, you know, we feel good about the success we've had lately with drafting young guys.
0: You played 14, 15 years in the NBA. Obviously, I'm sure with your your dad's background as a coach, you might have had some interest in getting into coaching. What was it about front office work uh, that was appealing to you? Because I spent one year with the Blazers after done playing, doing some player development and front office scouting, Um, and it was great. I enjoyed it but it's also a, a grind where you can miss out on some things with the family, which is one of the reasons broadcasting has been so great for me. Sure. What was the transition like for you? Yeah, I think it was a, my
1: appeal for the front office versus coaching. I think, uh, you know, cause my dad did both, right. He, he was, you know, he was kind of GM president with the bucks and the Clippers while coaching. So I saw both sides of it. Um, I would say the two things that appealed to me at this position were lifestyle, like you mentioned with family and flexibility but also the, just the strategy, the long-term thinking aspect of it, a little bit different than the day-to-day of coaching. Um, I'm certainly interested in do a lot of stuff with our group with player development, um, but that is that's the coach's area. Um, as is X's and O's and game strategy and all that. Um, cool stuff, very interesting. But for me, I do like the long-term strategy thinking. You know, if a coach makes maybe 100 decisions in a day or a week, as a front office person, you're making you know maybe 10 decisions in a year, but they're all pretty
0: important and impactful.
1: And I kind of like that idea of it and it's gone well. I'm enjoying it and work with good people. So um, happy with my decision so far.
0: You still play any pickup basketball,
1: man? You know <laughs> what? I, 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 wish I could. Um, I got out of the game pretty, pretty clean injury wise with my hip. I do not have a good hip and my left hip's bugging me and it's tough. So other than with like mess around my kids in the driveway, um, I do not play much. Um, but honestly, I don't. I don't miss it too much. Picked up other things like golf, like pickleball, things like that. You compete in. Uh, so right now, um, I'm, I'm in a good space. But I don't play a lot of pickup. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's been a while since I have played pickup. It's it's crazy here in Spokane because uh, Stockton still runs uh, every oh, yeah. open gyms, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't necessarily play every single weekend anymore. Um, but he's still down there all the time, and occasionally he'll play. Last time I played and he played, I don't think he missed a shot inside of 15 wow. feet. It was amazing.
1: Wow. Wow. So you you play uh you kind of just show up here and there, you're not consistent, you're not consistent with it.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's that's one of the of things- that's actually what's that scares me the most because I feel like those are the type of guys that show up. You play once, you know, every four months, and that's where you yeah. knock on wood blow out a knee or you know pull a hamstring or even worse so uh that one that one always
0: scares me too <laughs> and that's that's one reason i haven't really gotten back into playing because one for me the competitive factor right you play at the highest level like you want to play against the highest continually the second one is yeah. i don't want to get hurt i'd rather be able yeah. to coach my son's groups than than be on the yeah. training table how about the golf game where, where where's that at for you then you play at olympic where do you play at in san francisco
1: yeah, there's some great courses out here. Olympic, I'm a member at Olympic. And then, you know, um, there's Harding Park, which is a great public course. You got some great private courses like the Cal Club, San Francisco, um, Lake Merced. And then you go further down the peninsula with, Mon- you know, Monterey, you got, you know, Pebble Beach, Cypress, on and on. So great golf here. Unfortunately, with four kids and, um, you know, a, a busy job, I don't get out as much as I like, but in the summertime, we get a little downtime and, been playing a lot lately it'll it'll taper off certainly as the as the season picks up but man I love it. It, it it the only complaint would be it just takes too long to play 18 holes but otherwise um really really tough challenging game but like you know your ability to stay competitive with it's you know individually challenging um just I've, I've gotten the bug I'm pretty addicted to it
0: yeah that's I'm right there with you a big family it's hard to get away for five and a half six hours for a round yeah. but- it definitely clears your mind. Getting outside uh, is definitely refreshing as well. When you look at the the upcoming season for the Warriors, obviously you guys uh, are one of the dynasties of all times, but what truly separates the team that you guys have put together from some other really good teams in the league right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, first of all, we have a Level of talent that's you know in the top five or ten you could easily say you know enables us to compete, but the biggest thing is just having Draymond, having Steph, having Clay, uh, 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 guys that are still playing at an extremely high level but have been there before and they have that they have that experience that uh gives our, our other players confidence, um, it enables them to grow. But when the playoffs come around, it gives us if we're healthy, it gives us a chance, I think, against any team in the league, and so that's what you know, we were hoping for last year and it, and it panned out pretty well. And again, you know, kind of trying to defend and, and go back to back. That's what we'll rely on. We're, we'll need some luck. We'll need some health. And, and I think the league is better this year as teams get healthier, but um, you know, we feel as long as Steph's at a, at a you know, MVP type level, um, you know, we're going to have a chance to have a really good team and, and, and win it.
0: You mentioned Brian Michelson earlier. A lot of people that listen to this podcast are obviously Gonzaga fans uh, you played high school basketball with, with B. Mike, as he's known. Uh, yeah. I think he's one of the, the up-and-coming assistant coaches in all of college basketball. He's ready to be a head coach when it's the right opportunity, just like Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. You got any uh, B. Mike stories that you can share real quick?
1: Man, he, he was a really good high school player. Um, a big reason uh, we won the state championship in, in Oregon in 1999 Um He was before his time in the sense of uh, like a plus wingspan. Uh, I just always remember Brian never looking like the the quickest or fastest guy in the gym, but he was like incredibly effective with, you know, defending, getting his hands on balls, just making plays. And the guy's just freakishly long. I'd be interested to know what his height versus wingspan is. But like to me, he was, you know, you hear Jay Billis on draft night talk about length and long and all this stuff. I, you know, uh, I always, I always first think of Brian because uh, that, that helps him become a pretty, pretty effective player.
0: Yeah, no, he absolutely had a long wingspan. You'd think you'd be <laughs> by him in open gym or at practice and then yeah. he, his arms would come yeah. out of nowhere and poke the ball away. So, well, Mike, I really appreciate the time. It's, it's always good to catch up and see you uh, on the road when I'm doing broadcasting and, and I've run into you when you're doing your scouting duties. So thanks for joining. I appreciate the time.